Our text this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse uh, 1 through 7. Book of Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 can be found on page 1072 in your pew Bibles. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Median's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is word of the Lord. I have a confession to make. I'm a nerd. Since I work with the youth, I do my best to pretend that I'm this cool, hip, approachable, 30-something pastor. But at the core of my being, you will find this huge nerdiness. I geek out about things that nobody actually cares about. Look at today's servant title. Christmas. The perfect pre- or present perfect tense event. This title is absolutely nerdy. And I had, other, I had other options too. I had, you know, the great light. Do you see what I see? I'm not saying that those are great sermon titles, but they are definitely better than what I ended up with. And the worst part is, I legitimately thought that this title was impressive worthy of being Christmas sermon title. I'm definitely second-guessing them now. But, in any case, allow me to explain why I was geeking out on this, about this sermon title. The perfect present tenses refer to verbal forms like, I have showered, or I have eaten, instead of saying, I showered and I ate. Um, we use the perfect or present perfect tense to express a past event that still has an ongoing present significance or effect. I told you it was going to be nerdy. Um, let me give you an example. Let's use I have eaten as an example. I could use just a simple past tense and say I ate, but that communicates that Whatever I ate, however long ago, no longer has an ongoing effect on my body, a.k.a. 
I'm hungry now. But if I use the perfect present, present perfect tense, I have eaten, that means something that I ate however long ago still has effect on me. I still have some some in my tum-tum, and I don't have to eat right away. In that sense, Christmas is a present perfect tense event. Even though Jesus Christ was born more than 2,000 years ago, it's not a merely a past event because of its ongoing present significance. And although it might not be so apparent to us at first glance, our text actually points to that ongoing present effect of Christmas. The book of Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the entire New Testament. And much of that has to do with the fact that Isaiah has a lot of prophecies regarding Jesus. And not just, his, not just about his birth, but also his, about, about his life, his suffering, his death, and resurrection. The things like the virgin birth, Emmanuel, the suffering servant, and so much more are found in the book of Isaiah. And our text from Isaiah 9 is just one of those prophecies. And it is a familiar text, isn't it? For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Even if you didn't know that those words were from Isaiah 9, the chances are you have probably encountered them at some point in your life. For example, look at the front page of your bulletin. The words are right there. Or just look behind me. These words have been here for over a month. And if you've been coming to uh, Brookfield CRC for the last month, we read this text a ton during this Advent season. Or perhaps you might recognize the words from that other song from Handel's Messiah, not the one that goes hallelujah, but the other song. In any case, here we have the prophet Isaiah's prophecy about a baby who will come into the world to be a great light. Of course, this prophecy is about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is the light. But we should not ignore or brush aside the strong presence of darkness in our text. Because Isaiah intentionally brings us to darkness in order to tell us about the coming light, the coming Messiah. In fact, darkness has been Isaiah's main focus leading up to chapter 9. In the book of Isaiah, God's first words are, I raised up children, I delivered them, but they rebelled against me. And darkness is the result of such rebellion. In other words, Isaiah attributes darkness to human sin. In Isaiah 9, this darkness is not just some abstract mood or possibility, but a tangible situation. It's a tangible condition, real condition. It refers to the national calamity that Israel was dealing with. By then, the Assyrian Empire had invaded Israel. They subjugated the northern territories controlled by, once controlled by the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun in the region of Galilee. They forced the deporta- deportation of many Israelites, and they f- oppressed 
the rest in the region. Such darkness is the backdrop of our reading this morning. So imagine how sweet Isaiah's prophecy must have sounded in the ears of the listeners. In this prophecy, people found promises regarding end to war, end to an oppression. They found joy, hope, light, restoration, peace, justice. It speaks of salvation through this coming baby. But time kept passing by and nothing happened. Isaiah died eventually without ever seeing this baby. And meanwhile, the situation in Israel just kept getting worse. The Assyrians again invaded Israel, wiped out the ten northern tribes completely, and eventually the remaining two tribes in the south met a similar fate 150 years later. Despite the prophecies, despite all of its promises, the darkness persisted. So what happened to the prophecy of Isaiah? Was this a false prophecy? I know most of you are thinking, I know most of you are just dying to refute me on this, right? You, you guys want to point out the fact that this prophecy is about Jesus Christ. He is the light. He was the child that was given. He was the son who was born to us. He came as the Messiah. Today, this Christmas day, we're celebrating the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 and all other prophecies regarding the coming Messiah. All of that is true. I'll give you that. But how do we explain the darkness? Can you honestly tell me that we no longer have darkness in our world today? Even today, we experience darkness. The darkness we experience are different. I'll give you that. But we are familiar with the idea of darkness. We know it far too well. Today, darkness goes by many names. It is sometimes called injustice. It is sometimes called violence. It is sometimes called poverty. It is sometimes called abuse. Some people personally know it as death. Others know it as a crisis. Some call it an illness. Some call it loneliness. What is your darkness? Maybe you have too many to count. Darkness has existed and persisted even after the birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Wisconsin is still cold. All jokes aside, Messiah did come. The son was born. The child was given. Yet darkness continued to cover the entire world. So what happened to the opening line of Isaiah 9? There will be no, no more gloom. What happened to the bold promises of joy, light, righteousness, justice? What happened to our salvation from this darkness? Was this prophecy a false prophecy? And here's a question that we might be too afraid to ask this morning. Was the birth of Jesus Christ merely a past event that no longer has a significance in our world 
and in our lives. That calls us to a closer examination of the text. And I'm, I understand that you might not want to do what I'm about to ask you to do, but consider this a Christmas gift to me. Imagine that you were me, this nerdy 30-something-year-old pastor. Right? Are you there? Are you with me? Are you embodying all of this nerdiness? All right? Then look at the text today. Look at Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. You will see that verbal tenses are all over the place. It starts and ends with the future tenses, but in the middle of the prophecy, we find many present perfect tenses. There are some more future tenses, and there are some present tenses. Now, you are still me. You are this, still this nerdy 30-something-year-old pastor. Are you still with me? Are you still embodying all of this nerdiness? Okay. What would you do in this situation when you discover all these weird tenses all over the place? Oh, come on, guys. You would go to the original Hebrew text because you're a nerd. Right? But when we go there, what you will find is the fact that the entire prophecy, not the entire prophecy, the prophecy is almost entirely written in the past tense. And of course, this is a big deal because this is a prophecy. A prophecy is supposed to reveal something to us about the future. This prophecy is about the coming Messiah who will bring joy, hope, all of these great things. It is supposed to be about the future. So why did Isaiah write this prophecy in the past tense? Alec Mortier, in his brilliant commentary on Isaiah, reflects on these bizarre, unexpected past tenses. And he says, this hope is sure. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 is couched in past tenses. The future is written as something which has already happened. Isaiah says to us, look forward to it. It is certain the Lord has already done it. I'm not suggesting that the NIV and other Bible translations got the text wrong. I'm not suggesting that. The amalgam of different tenses in the text does not suggest that the translators did not know what they were doing. On the contrary, the translators knew exactly what they were dealing with. They were dealing with a prophecy written in the past tense. So in their translations, they used a few future tenses to reflect the fact that this prophecy pointed toward the future event. Right? And then they used a lot of perfect, or present perfect tenses to denote the fact that this word still had an ongoing present effect in the world today. The prophecy in Isaiah 9, and the entire Bible for that matter, is God's word. In other words, God's decree. It means whatever he says will come true. In fact, in Isaiah 46, 11, God says, what I have said, that I will bring about. And what I have planned, that I will do. And isn't that what verse 7 in our text is also saying? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Whatever God has said is a sure thing. The people have seen a great light. A light 
has done. These are written in the present perfect tenses, expressing that this past event has an ongoing significant event or significant effect today. The birth of Messiah was guaranteed since God decreed it. And that's why Isaiah was able to write this prophecy with present or past tenses, because it was a sure thing. The Messiah was coming. So he wrote it as if he was already here. But the birth of the promised Messiah would not happen for another 700 years or so. During that long period, generations of God's people lived in this tension called already but not yet. God has already promised the Messiah, but the Messiah has not yet come. They knew that they were still living in darkness, but at the same time, they also knew that light was coming. They knew that they were living under sin, chaos, sorrow, evil, and injustice, and death. Yet they knew that a new reality defined by peace, joy, justice, righteousness, salvation, and life was coming. And part of Isaiah's message today is that people could live as though the Messiah had already brought all his promises to fruition because God decreed them and guaranteed them. Eventually, about 700 years after the time of Isaiah and 2,000 years before our time, um, God's decree and guarantee were fully realized. They were finally realized. The Messiah was born. The baby was born in Bethlehem, in a stable, in a manger. The promise, the long-awaited birth of the Messiah finally happened. And I'm sure most of us are familiar with those famous Christmas stories involving the shepherds and the magi. But there's another beautiful story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 about a man named Simeon. He was a devout person of faith, waiting for the Messiah, promised in Isaiah 9. Not too long after Jesus' birth, Simeon got to see the baby Jesus in flesh when he was still an infant. As the story goes, when Simeon laid his eyes on Jesus, he praised God and said, My eyes have seen your salvation. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Jesus had not yet suffered, died, or come to life again yet. He was still a baby. He, could, he couldn't even walk. He couldn't even talk. So how is it that Simeon saw God's salvation in this little infant? The darkness was still prevalent in the world. There was a lot that still needed to happen so logistically, Simeon's comment just does not add up. But that might be the case because as humans, we only see time in a sequential, linear manner. For God who controls time and everything else, as soon as his son was born, everything was settled. Everything was completed. It was finished already, but not yet. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, was born, and he was going to bring all that God had promised, all that Simeon hoped for. 
And Simeon saw this event through the lens of his faith. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about things we do not see. Simeon saw and accepted this new, already but not yet reality with his faith in this newborn baby, the newborn king. And even today, even after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, there is still so much darkness in our world. And Christians are now waiting for Jesus to return and drive out all that is dark from this world with his light. Waiting can be taxing, and it can cause us to doubt. But the prophetic picture we see in Isaiah 9 is that as soon as Jesus Christ is born, everything is settled. It is a done deal. Even though darkness still remains in our world, the ultimate light has come into the world. That means darkness is all but finished. Darkness is still real. But for all who believe in Jesus Christ, darkness is no longer their reality. Like Simeon, through the lens of our faith, we can accept our new already but not yet reality in Jesus Christ. The reality that is defined by His great light. The reality that is defined by joy, righteousness, justice, life. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about things that we do not see. And the birth of Jesus is where our confidence and assurance come from. To us, a child was born. The Son was given. Jesus the Messiah has arrived. And He has arrived to fulfill all that God has promised. The birth of the baby Jesus wasn't simply a past event, but a present perfect event. Its ongoing effect guarantees the new reality for all whom Jesus came to save. Therefore, the birth is not the only thing that we are celebrating today. We're also celebrating the ongoing effect of our Lord Jesus Christ's birth, the new reality in Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and for the tangible reminder of what his birth means to us today. As we continue to celebrate Christmas, we ask that you would help us to accept and live in our new reality in Jesus Christ. And as for the rest of our lives, enable us to gratefully share this good news of Jesus' birth and its ongoing effect and significance with others who are still walking in darkness. Through Jesus our Messiah, the newborn King. Amen.